we don't hire people based off where they are. So we don't actually put any of that stuff even into the CV. We just care about what kind of work you can do and how well you can do it. And then we find out where they are later. Welcome to the Freedom Lifestyle podcast series, a series that is so much more than just a podcast series. This is a movement towards freedom in life and in work and about taking a lifestyle you know you deserve. I'm your host, Sam, and I have always admired working where you want, when you want, and how you want. Just like my guests, I found my version of the freedom lifestyle, and I'm sharing all the secrets for how you can too. The freedom lifestyle looks different for everyone. What's your free? You're listening to episode 34 of the Freedom Lifestyle podcast series. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I hope you'll like what you hear, subscribe, stick around. We're really a community here and when I'm not podcasting, I'm joining our community online. We have members sharing all kinds of resources for living the freedom lifestyle, inspiration, even work opportunities that are aligned with working on your own terms. You can join the Freedom Lifestyle Facebook group and get in on that today. If you've been listening to our show for a while though, thank you for the loyalty. I do not take that lightly. You know that we've been expanding the scope of what the Freedom Lifestyle could look like. Not everybody wants to start a business or become self-employed, but this doesn't mean that they should miss out on the lifestyle of living and working wherever and whenever they want. This is why I am so excited about the growing openness and preference, frankly, from many forward-thinking employers who are now creating remote-only work teams. How cool is that? It's incredible. What a time. In this episode, I had such a great time chatting with Leah Martin, who has been empowering the remote work movement for years, while also walking the talk himself. Liam employs 100 remote workers that live in 28 different countries. He's the CMO and co-founder of timedoctor.com and staff.com, two tools that help manage the productivity of remote employees. He had previously run a company that connected university students with remote tutors, which was the initial inspiration for his passion towards remote work. Liam has been featured in many major publications about the expansion of remote work, including Forbes, Mashable, TechCrunch, Fast Company, The Wall Street Journal, and Huffington Post. Most recently, Liam has launched Running Remote, which is the largest conference on remote work that's held in Bali each year. The next one is taking place this June. Definitely a conference that I would love to attend myself one day, I learned so much from this episode, including websites that post remote-only work jobs. Also, why going remote can be better for the planet than going vegan. Enjoy this episode. Liam, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Where are you taking today's call from? Because I know you are also kind of remote worker, digital nomad yourself. I'm back in Canada, but in a week, I'm going to Cairo. 
And when you're on the road, do you have any types of routine in terms of how you like to spend your days, start your mornings, create environments to kind of have some type of routine? Yeah, I think it's critical. I, generally, when I'm traveling, I'm either I have my own workspace, so either another bedroom that can be used as an office, or I have a co-working space that I go to. And it is pretty much just every morning I'm in that space by 9 a.m. So I generally do a nine to five. Um, sometimes that expands out a little bit deeper, however. But it's just check my main dashboards, see whether or not there's any fires, and then get into the long-term task of the day, the, the task that's going to really move the business forward. And I reserve email for noon. So I try to fight that desire to uh, to check that distraction machine called email. If I can get those things completed, everything else is kind of just gravy on top. Got it. And then you can kind of do whatever inspires you that day once you get kind of the things you have to get done. Exactly. That's exactly it. And you also manage remote teams. You're the co-founder of two very successful SaaS companies. And so are your teams entirely distributed and remote or is it a mix? Entirely distributed. We we believe our mission statement as a company is we believe that everyone should be able to work wherever they want, whenever they want. So it would be a little disingenuous if we did not give all of our workers that type of opportunity as well. So we have approximately 100 people located in about 28 different countries all over the world, and they all work from their homes or from co-working spaces. We do have what we call crash pads. So there are a few offices located throughout the world and any of our employees are allowed to be able to go and quote unquote crash at them for a month. But it really kind of is up to them and a lot of them actually don't use them. Uh, I'm going to Cairo next month and I was really excited to check out the crash pad that we had in Cairo. And then I found out from HR that we had actually shut it down about three months ago. (laughs) <laughs> which was frustrating because that was part of my reasoning as to why I was going to go. Uh, so we're just, they're kind of, they're collecting dust from misuse and something that we might actually be completely getting rid of moving on into the future. Mm, that's disappointing, but it's, that's a really awesome concept of these crash pads and it kind of creates a community as well around your team members. You said, 28 countries that people are logging in from where what are some of the highlights i know Vaishali is from india who reached out to connect us where else oh boy uh australia philippines japan um thailand vietnam uh egypt south africa uh uk us and canada couple countries in south america um mauritius which is off the coast of africa that's actually where our director of support is located because it's a fantastic bridge in between our day shift and our night shift because they can get a couple hours overlap for both teams uh pakistan india i mean every pretty much every country you could think of Uh, we don't we don't hire people based off where they are So we don't actually put any of that stuff even into the CV. We just care about what kind of work you can do and how well you can do it. And then we find out where they are later because that actually really, it it 
it reduces bias when we want to make a hiring decision. I love that. And I imagine hiring remote workers is kind of an art in itself. What characteristics do you look for? So that's actually an interesting question. We've done a lot of psychometric testing on a lot of the employees that work for us and then also just the remote workers that are inside of our SaaS products. And we've found that introversion is probably one of the strongest signals that we've found for long-term success for remote workers. So people that are relatively introverted, I'll give you an example. I have a product manager who works for us. He currently is three blocks away from me up here in Canada. And I maybe see him once a quarter and I meet with him online probably two to three times a week, but he is on the introverted side of the spectrum, which most people are, and he does not like to interact with people, whereas I'm slightly on the extroverted scale. So I'm usually going out to coffee shops and co-working spaces, that type of thing to be able to get that type of human interaction. But generally it is somewhat of a negative um, for long-term success in remote work, the the introversion versus extroversion is what I mean. Interesting. I've never yeah. heard that connection made. And as an extrovert myself, and I'm assuming some of my listeners are as well, is that kind of a red flag? Is Is there ways to work around that? Maybe different roles as a remote worker where extroversion might actually play as a strength? Generally, no. Uh, the data is pretty clear. So, wow. in ter- and we're measuring this on retention. Mm-hmm. So, how long someone, you, there may be other variables that you could kind of implement that would give you something else, like maybe remote workers that are extroverted sell a lot better as a salesperson. And maybe introverted sellers are just horrible and they can't close any deals, in which case you probably want to hire extroverted salespeople. But probably the most important factor is whether you're introverted or extroverted. So interesting. Okay, good to know. And you mentioned that your company's mission statement is you want to empower your workers to work whenever they want and wherever they want. How has that been going so far? What's the feedback from your team? Are they loving it? Are there steps you took to kind of create that culture other than, you know, hiring remote? Yes. So we've found that the there is a bit of an adjustment period for remote workers so we have two particular types of people that join us there are people that have been remote first their entire lives which we generally tr- attract because we are a remote first company and i'm sure people that are listening to this podcast know the difference but remote first companies are people that hire remote first so they they are always biased towards that kind of hiring culture and philosophy versus what we also call on-premise companies, which are basically companies that all work in one particular place. So we've kind of built out a niche for ourselves in the remote first worker community. They know that we are going to hire in a way that makes it very easy for them to be able to work with us. And then the second category of people are people that have worked in brick and mortar on-premise companies, and we need to kind of re-educate them on how to work remotely. So as an example, um, 
are they, they, they may get a little lonely, as an example, working remotely. And we have a lot of strategies to be able to make those people less lonely and get them tied into our company culture and who we are as a company. So they understand exactly what's going on. And then the third layer of that is making sure that the direct reports and the management team are able to work with that employee efficiently and understand what their requirements are um, working inside of a remote business. So those three factors are really important to be able to onboard those guys. And it's something that we still haven't gotten perfect, but that's part of what we do at uh, the conference that we run, which is running remote, basically identifying the playbook of how to build and scale remote teams. Okay. And you've really become a thought leader in this remote workspace. And you also call it a movement, which is what we like to say on the Freedom Lifestyle community. Do you remember when this movement got on your radar? I know you started your career as a professional ice skater, then you went into education. When did it click that this is something you wanted to be part of? I think it was when we started Time Doctor. So uh, that tool was specifically for managing remote employees. And we, I had built a previous company that was an online tutoring business. And I really liked remote work. That was probably, that was, remote work really wasn't ready at that point. You couldn't get a really reliable internet connection, unfortunately. There were only some, there were only certain types of people that we could hire. But flash forward to today, which is like 12 years later, you can hire anyone on planet earth pretty much now that lives in a city of more than a million people. Pretty much any city with more than a million people you can get a reliable internet connection to the degree to which you can run a call like we're running right now. And that is, that's kind of when everything is flipped. And I think that probably hasn't really flipped until maybe three to four years ago. Um, Just from a data perspective, 54% of all workers in the United States worked remotely to some degree in 2017. However, only 2.1% of those workers were full-time remote. 2018 numbers are looking pretty pretty positive. I think it's around 3.8% based off the data that I'm getting from other sources. So we're looking at almost an exponential increase in full-time remote workers. So it's a very exciting time. I think that we we're, we're probably going to see 10% remote work within the next two to three years. And I think that's when we're really going to see it pop into the mainstream. We're still quite small as a ratio of um, workers. And I think once you combine the technology stacks that have come up just recently, applications like Slack, uh, project management systems, infrastructure companies like uh, Selena, as an example that we were talking about previously, all of these products are really allowing remote work to scale to the degree to which we would like it to scale, which is we would like to see the majority of workers on planet Earth working remotely. We think that it makes employees happier. There's a lot of quantitative data to be able to show very clearly that it makes employees a lot happier and more importantly, a lot more productive and more cost effective. So we see this as a natural evolution of work. But uh, I think we have a long way to go and probably another five to 15 years before the true goal of what I want to see will come to fruition. Got it. Yeah, happiness is definitely a big thing. I know that 
it's ranked one of the number one perks for millennials is for a company to offer remote work and so they can have that lifestyle. Another connection, though, I heard you make on one of the YouTube videos I watched of you is that going remote is better than going vegan. And that caught my attention because I'm a vegan environmentalist. I loved that. Can you elaborate on what you mean by this statement? I'm going to get a lot of hate on this one, but no. I, I look at the data. So I look at the hardcore data. Being vegan saves approximately about one ton of carbon per year. One flight from New York to Los Angeles is one ton of carbon. So if you're vegan for an entire year, but you fly once, you've X'd out your entire carbon footprint from that one flight. And for a lot of digital nomads that are probably flying five, 10, 15 times per year, you're actually creating significantly more damage than if you went vegan in the first place. So from a core carbon footprint perspective, you should stop traveling on a jet. That's probably the worst thing that you could possibly do for the overall planet. But um, you know, every little bit helps. And my vision of the future is where we, unfortunately, we don't have to actually fly on jets. We can just interact all remotely and interact in that way. And uh, we can save a lot of the carbon footprint from not having to make those as many flights as we usually do. Got it. And that really is kind of the power of remote work in the future that you see in, in this, I guess, ideological world that you think would be this amazing place for workers from an environmental standpoint, as well as from a worker satisfaction standpoint. What are the concerns, you know, of everyone just kind of working from a laptop? Are there cons to this ideology that you're thinking about? And, and how do you think about them? Yeah, there's a lot of negative components to remote work. Um, Biggest ones are loneliness, employee loneliness. Uh, That's something that definitely is is an issue. However, on the other side, actually, the employees are generally more happier in their work environment, but they're just more lonely in general because they're not interacting with as many people. So what I suggest people would do is to create social spheres that are outside of the work role. Um, so like, you know, joining sports teams or joining meetup groups, something like that. That's where you can get your socialization from, as opposed to having it connected to the work sphere. But even then, I mean, there are a lot of remote workers feel a lot more left out from decision making in comparison to their on-premise peers, which is actually why we personally chose to do a completely remote operation as opposed to being co-located. So there are some companies that run kind of a two-pronged approach. So you'll have remote employees and then you'll have a central office somewhere. And in those, you'll end up seeing the remote workers feeling a lot more left out from a lot of the decision-making that happens. And there's a lot of bias inside of those organizations. Uh, Joel Gascoigne, who is the founder of Buffer, speaks about this a lot. He very clearly made sure that his employees would never come to a certain location where he is at for an extended amount of time. Because then what that creates is, I want to be closer to the founder of the company because I know that my decisions will be taken in a deeper way if I'm closer to that founder versus 
actually having everyone completely distributed. So we try to do the same thing. My co-founder is in Sydney, Australia, and I'm here in Canada. We're literally on opposite sides of the planet. And we very rarely are in the same place at the same time outside of our company team retreat that we do every year. I I can relate to that. I've done some remote freelance work for a company where they had some employees in the office with a founder every day. And that exact scenario has happened to me where because I wasn't there having the FaceTime, having the office chat in real time, decisions sometimes get made without me. And then personally, it makes you feel as a remote worker less committed and, you know, all in. Um, whereas I guess in your scenario where if everybody is remote, you can kind of counteract that a little bit and allow everyone to still feel like they're fully part of it. Yeah, we don't have, I mean, this is qualitative as opposed to quantitative data, but mm -hmm. from a qualitative perspective, it seems to solve that problem where the employee feels disempowered. So mm -hmm. something, if you are planning on building a completely remote company, make sure it stays remote. Uh, I have a, a friend of mine right now, Amir from a company called Doist, and he's responsible for Todoist, which is a task management app. He also has another application called Twist, which is an asynchronous response to Slack, uh, which is relatively interesting and probably a separate conversation for us. But he is located in Barcelona in Spain, and he's actually found this problem where some of his employees just seem to now be moving to Spain. And he's trying to basically stop that from happening. Mm -hmm. to make sure that the team continues to remain distributed and he still works alone. Even though his employees are located in the same city, he has fought that desire to be able to have those employees basically give, basically have more access than their employees that are located in the Philippines, as an example. Okay. And I love that you're name dropping these companies that hire remote because there's a lot of people that ask me, you know, how do I get a remote job? Like my current employer, I've tried to make a case and they're not very supportive. So it's nice that you're naming some of these companies that do take that hiring approach. Any tips for someone who wants to work for a company? Is, is that like a fair, you know, environment path to go on? Is just, I want to work remote and just try to find a company that does it or how should Absolutely. they be thinking about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two platforms I would suggest is Remote OK and we work remotely. Those are the two platforms, job boards that are probably the best for remote workers because those job boards exclusively hire only remote workers. And um, you can, you know, you can check out the jobs on there. We post tons of jobs. Everyone else who's remote first posts their jobs on those platforms. And I mean, that's kind of the place to start. Um, I would say also working for a remote company, you need to really provide value very early on because you can make decisions a lot faster in a remote business than you can in an on-premise business because of the commitment that you need to make to an on-premise employee. So if I say, hey, Sam, okay, I'm going to hire you. Come to Toronto. I'll set up an office for you. I'll set up a, here's your new laptop. Here's your new computer screen, all that kind of stuff. I'm making a significant commitment, whereas in comparison, what we usually do is we say, we need to kind of work with you before we can really work with you. So we'll usually work with those people for approximately one month in a trial period, and then we'll have another three-month trial period in which we really kind of measure. So that they make it past that first month and say, okay, do we want to 
can I add this person to the next three-month trial period? Which basically means, is it a yes from them or from us? And then after those three months, we have another meeting, which is, here's your last chance. You know, like um, you see in the movies when the, they say, if these two should not be joined, speak now, forever hold you peace. It's basically the forever hold you peace meeting, which is, should this person uh, continue on with us? And once we're at that point, then we actually hire them full-time and we give them all of the advantages that a full-time remote worker would have with us. But up until that point, we can basically say, you know what, it's not working out. Um, we're not going to work together anymore and we'll give them a package to some degree, but the package is a lot smaller on that first four months than it is after that first four months. Okay. That trial period seems really smart. And it's a great tie-in to one of your products you've actually created, of course, Time Doctor, which is the leading time tracking software specifically for remote workers. It allows them to really quickly and efficiently track their work, but also business owners can kind of relax. They know that their team is being effective. So how does this type of tool compare to like an outcomes? based work assessment, which a lot of employers who want to hire remote, maybe that's how they're thinking about it, or at least employees might be pitching um, that monitoring. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. So everyone, just because you've installed something like Time Doctor and your team is using it doesn't mean you shouldn't have KPIs connected to what you're doing. Those are absolutely critical. But it allows the lead time to be faster. So what we basically do is we can measure Let's go back to the sales example. Let's say you have 20 sales reps and you know what their output is versus time in. So you're measuring how many hours they're working and you see what type of output they're producing using Time Doctor and a CRM as an example. You'd be able to, number one, very quickly identify whether or not someone is the right fit. So how much time are they per putting in versus the output that they're generating? Uh, and then number two, if they're not hitting those particular targets, how can you tweak what their work is like? So what are their work, what are they spending their time on? Are they spending the majority of the time on their CRM? Or are they spending it in email? Or are they spending it on the phone? And then you can look at what a successful sales rep does versus an unsuccessful sales rep, and then be able to basically tweak that data to be able to get them to get them to that point of success. And the employee is basically self-empowered to be able to have that data. So everyone inside of our company shares all of our data. So everyone can kind of jump into what I'm doing right now, which is a podcast. And it, they can compare to how much time I spent on podcasting versus other tasks that I'm doing throughout my workday. And I suppose if we had actually like 20 people that were doing podcasts all the time, we could also measure the effectiveness of those podcasts, but everyone can see that data and then they can even make suggestions on how to actually make me more productive. Super cool. So you have it on right now. Your team knows we're doing a podcast. Yes. Everyone knows exactly what I'm doing every second of the day, every employee in the company. And, um, it really kind of shows you again, it's connected to our culture. What are you doing with your time and how can you make yourself more productive? I don't know if you've noticed, but we're very quantitative. That's part of our culture. We always uh, connect to, okay, cool. You have this good gut feeling that this is a, the right decision, but can you back it up with data? And that's what we do with basically everything that we do inside the company, and including my podcast that I'm doing with you right now. 
Very cool. Okay. So we've talked about sales professionals, of course, online marketers and designers. Are there industries you're having less momentum in? Do you think remote work is accessible to everyone? Will people always miss out certain groups of workers? Remote work is accessible to all thought workers. So individuals that work from their computer. Um, You're never going to have a person that works at The Gap that uh, will be able to work remotely. However, with another force that's rising up through the world right now, which is machine learning and artificial intelligence, a lot of those jobs will start to disappear quite quickly. So the jobs that will be left are creative work jobs, and then just very specific specific blue-collar work. So you're never going to have an AI that's going to replace a plumber, as an example. Those are actually probably going to be some of the highest value jobs moving forward, but they obviously cannot be remote. Um, So thought workers, everyone is going to be able to be remote. I actually will assume probably within the next 20 years, the majority of those jobs will be remote because just the pure economics of it make perfect sense. If you can get a 20% boost in productivity and a 30% boost in employee happiness, as an example, and that can be replicated across all job categories. It's just a matter of time before that becomes the norm. So that's just what's going to happen. Um, and it's just going to, we don't know whether or not it's going to happen within the next 10 years or within the next 30 years. Okay, got it. So Time Doctor, you've been running that now for how many years, did you say? Eight years. Eight years, been very successful with that. And somewhere along this journey, you decided I'm going to launch the world's largest running remote conference specifically for remote workers and employers who, you know, want to hire remote or curious by this. You're hosting your second conference this June in Bali. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to mention that it's a bit ironic that a remote work conference is going to be a physical conference. I'm sure you've had to answer that You're question. Not the first. Yeah. yeah. Why was it important to you to have everybody in one physical space? So I don't know if you've been to online conferences before, but they're just not the same energy. Uh, just in the same way that we do a company team retreat every single year. So we fly everyone that is been working with us for longer than four months. We fly them all to one location every single year to be able to work together after you have that interaction, the particularly the new employees inside of the organization just have a, they change their work kind of tone and their work trends. And it's because just having that human direct interaction is still needed inside of remote teams. And for us, that information exchange that you get from flying into one location working for two days, working very intensely to be able to learn new strategies on how to manage and build a remote team is, um, it's, it's very unique. And it's something that not many people have had access to before. Actually, no one had access to it before last year. We were the first ones to do it. So we, we realized that it was definitely an experiment. It was kind of like a ready fire aim situation. We cut a hundred grand to be able to just get a venue and set something up. Thankfully, we ended up breaking even. And um, 
for us, it was more of a passion project. We said to ourselves, if we can hire 10% better, or if we can keep 10% more of our employees year over year, it's absolutely worth the investment to be able to do it. And thankfully, a couple people really thought it was a great thing. So we're doing it again this year. Okay, got it. Well, I want to be mindful of your time and we may have already touched on this, but I thought I would just ask, since you're so you know, deep into this and you really are forecasting kind of what remote and the future of work is going to look like, if you had the time and capacity to build another company or another product to support this movement, what would you build? HR. No HR. one has currently solved no one has built an HR product for remote workers yet. Uh, it is a logistical nightmare. Uh, setting up 28 corporations all across planet Earth to be able to hire people legally under 28 different legal systems is just a hot mess that no one wants to deal with. And currently, right now, no one is actually adequately solving this problem. So that would be a big thing that I would try to solve. It's, it's great to have you on the show and to hear from someone who's been doing it for, you know, quite a period of time. A lot of us listening are, you know, newer digital nomads, first time remote workers. So it's great to hear that you can not only be so successful as an employer, but also that, you know, it's just getting started and that this type of lifestyle really is sustainable. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I think that it is definitely getting a lot less lonely, which is great. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm very excited about the future of remote work. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Liam. We will definitely include all the links where we can find you and good luck with the conference. We'll all be watching on Instagram with Envy, I'm sure. Cool. Cool. Okay, bye. Thanks for tuning into episode 34. If you like what you hear, I'm only just getting started with the content and the resources that I want to be creating and sharing so that everyone can live their version of free. Please leave me a review in iTunes. It helps other freedom seekers find us as well as join us online on Facebook, Freedom Lifestyle. What's your free?